0: And welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the CEO of the Rescue Agency, the Behavior Change Agency. Please welcome Kristen Carroll. Kristen, thanks for being with us today. Hey,
1: Kevin. Good to see you.
0: Great to see you back here again. Um, So we're at this conference talking a little bit about regeneration and impact. What's your impact journey? Tell us about the origin.
1: Wow, that's a great question, and it's really inspiring to be here with so many impact leaders. I think my impact story started, you know, way back in college. I don't know that I realized it was an impact story, but I um, was at school and was interested in advertising and communications and the way that you could move people through communications. I had Nike posters, you know, up on my wall. And at the same time I was studying communications, I also found this opportunity to volunteer in the community and connect with my surroundings, Um, go to town council meetings. I tutored um, inmates at a local jail, taught them computer skills. And all of a sudden, I kind of saw this way where communications could actually help solve or help create awareness around societal problems. And I always had this kind of goal inside of me to be able to marry those two things. I started my career in advertising, and I had an amazing job, big skyscraper in New York City, and um, it just felt like it wasn't my people. Uh, It was a big agency, did great creative work, but I really wanted to marry, you know, this idea of communications and impact, and I started looking for that opportunity. This is over 20 years ago at this point. Um, I found an opportunity to work at the Partnership for Drug-Free America, which is a nonprofit that had an opportunity to do a large-scale national program for the Office of National Drug Control Policy and started working with advertising agencies all over the country to brief creatives on how we could create an open dialogue around drug use, help parents talk to their kids. And it just opened up a way for me of being able to see how communications could marry with you know, solving societal issues. And, you know, my career has progressed through a high-growth tech company, but now at Rescue, our mission as a company is to make healthy behaviors easier and more appealing. And my career has kind of come full circle.
0: And what are some of these um, behavior changes that you're trying to uh, influence? Uh, Substance abuse, uh, mental health, what are some of the big challenges that you're taking on at Rescue?
1: Yeah, at Rescue Agency, we really started in tobacco control, you know, helping to create prevention programs at a time when smoking rates 21 years ago were were quite high. Um, But as we've grown over time, we've developed behavior change strategies that have been able to reduce tobacco uh, use among young people, also help uh, adults stop smoking. And we've been able to apply those principles to substance use disorders, mental health, um, outreach, uh, early childhood education, nutrition and obesity prevention, physical activity promotion. And so those are all the health behaviors that we kind of really try to understand and think about how can communications nurture a path towards more health for different individuals.
0: And, And walk us through kind of your methodology, your secret sauce to understanding who you're trying to reach and really making sure you're saying the right things to influence their change.
1: Yeah. I mean, every single campaign that we do and every single approach that we take starts with research and really deeply understanding the audience that we're looking to affect and change. Um, And we spent a lot of time in the field when we were working on tobacco prevention programs early on. We would go out to bars and clubs where people were smoking. Um, We would go to high school, not to high schools, but the surrounding kind of hangout areas to find kids who are actually engaging in that behavior and make sure that we were talking to the people who could give us an understanding of what the motivations were, even if they didn't know it themselves. So research is a really important part of our process. That's where everything starts. Um, And then we really look at, you know, identifying single insights that can help us understand how we might be able to shift someone's perspective on a behavior and how to take their own values, their identity, their belief systems, and create a path where a healthy choice is an easier choice for them.
0: And over the past two years, uh, while the lockdowns had happened, COVID you know, changed the whole world. What did you experience within those two years for someone that works in behavior change uh, and, and does a lot of this research for people you know, struggling with mental health?
1: That's such an amazing question. And COVID was just, an incredible catalyst and trigger for so many health issues to come to the forefront. Uh, so first, I mean, you know, COVID disrupted public health uh, in so many different ways. And here we are working on issues like tobacco control, substance use, mental health, um, childhood education, nutrition and obesity prevention, food insecurity. And all of a sudden, this much bigger, much more urgent crisis came and you know, exploded right in the middle of all of those things. So the first thing we did was recognize that we had to continue the programs that we had already kind of had in place. And as an agency, we had to make a really hard choice. Do we follow the COVID shiny object? Or do we focus on the fundamental underlying health issues that we experience every day? And what we saw was that COVID Mm -hmm. was a shiny object, but we recognized that it actually wasn't a behavior change issue yet it was a crisis communications issue because we were trying to, you know, the the world was trying to figure out what's happening, what do I do, how do I act? And there wasn't a lot of clear information. So instead of following that shiny object, we really doubled down and started to do research around how is COVID affecting tobacco use? How is COVID affecting mental health? How is COVID affecting food insecurity or nutrition? And by doing that, we could start to really see the, the sea change that was happening where all of these issues actually became worse during COVID and people needed support more than ever. And so we really focused on integrating and layering in COVID messages to the campaigns we're already running.
0: So tell us a few things that uh, came out through your research. Uh, Tobacco use, um, diabetes, overweight, health, um, weight gain. What were some of the things that uh, you found or discovered through this research? Oh my
1: goodness, well, each topic area has so many specific learnings. I'll I'll talk about one specific to uh, teens and vaping. So one thing we saw very immediately is that because teens were no longer going to school, their social circles were actually, you know they they shrank, right? And people are isolated, teens were isolated. And on one hand, there was a feeling that maybe vaping would go down and or that behavior would actually go away. Um, And for a very short time, we, we saw that. But what we also saw was that teens were anxious, um, they weren't sure how to act they didn't have their regular social outlet and then isolation led to you know behaviors that they may not otherwise have actually engaged in social media became You know a catalyst for teens meeting up and being able to buy vapes or engage in you know that that activity And it almost became a coping mechanism during a time when we were all anxious together um, and so we started creating communications, for example, to teens that help them understand lung health. Instead of telling them not to do something, our goal is always to make sure that we're giving people information that they may not otherwise have understood. So our vaping campaigns to teens, for example, started talking about lung health and the effect of um, the chemicals on your lungs. And it was really timely at a time when the virus was spreading and obviously affecting lungs. From a mental health perspective, I mean, we all felt the effects. Um, but you know our mental health programs really started addressing um, high need audiences. So we put together programs that were focused on first responder, first responders, and frontline workers. These were people who were putting their life on the line for others, um, partly because of economic responsibility, and yet they weren't necessarily understanding how to take care of themselves mm. at a time when we all didn't really have the support networks that we needed. And so you did a lot of messaging around first responders, helping them see that they weren't alone, and making sure that they knew that there were resources out there for them to help. So those are just two examples, you know, tobacco or vaping and, and mental health.
0: So as the CEO of your organization, what is your intention? Uh, what is your North Star for this, the decision-making that uh, you have on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I mean, we really think about, you know, when we're, As a mission, our our goal is to make healthy behaviors easier and more appealing, and we're always thinking about how can we create the most change, the most positive change within the communities that need it the most. You know, COVID really shone a spotlight on health inequities that have existed for years and years and years that were not new. Mm. Um, But one thing that we saw was that there are many populations that just didn't have access to Um, health support, or they were frontline workers and they had to go work, and they may not have been protected in, uh, in ways that others might have. And so one of the things that's really guiding us right now is how do we think about creating very intentionally equitable health campaigns? Not how do we reach the most people with a message, but how do we make sure that we're reaching those people that need help the most with a message that is specific and relevant to them, and in that way, we can give them the most support so that you know, they can create a path towards health that may not otherwise exist.
0: And, and how is this affecting uh, the communities that you serve? What is your relationship with the municipalities and just the local community goers?
1: Yeah, so uh, rescue works primarily with public health departments you know, all over the country at the federal level, but you know, increasingly the state level and county level. We also work with a few, a few school districts And what we find is that those public health agencies that are out there, um, they have urgent needs and significant needs to help their communities, but they don't always know exactly how to accomplish the goals that they have. One thing that we've done at Rescue, um, you know, we work in vaping prevention or substance misuse disorder, for example, and a lot of times there's just limited funding. There's not enough funding to address the community concerns that are out there. And so we've developed a model where we create programs and we do research in a specific state, but instead of every state having to actually pay for their own campaigns, we create a path where states can license the work, Mm. learn from other states. And so in essence, we crowdsource the funding Mm. so that we can create really relevant, research-driven campaigns that can actually help a community faster than if they had to do it themselves and alone.
0: Interesting, and when it comes to hiring, um, have you found any benefits with uh, you know operating a social organization where people um, sure. you know, feel the need to give back? Feel the need very similar to your career path mm-hmm. growing up. Um, have you found that as a, I guess a competitive advantage uh, for hiring employees that want to work for you and, and retaining them?
1: Yeah, in terms of hiring. We have an incredible team. I mean, I we call uh, our team kind of a, a team of unicorns, where everyone has this specialty, and then they're able to bring the specialty, whether it's a PhD researcher or someone who's just so incredibly smart, bringing strong strategic insights to the table. Media experts, social media and community management folks, creatives, um, and so we have this skills, these skill sets that are typical of an advertising agency, but everyone is bringing experience to the table that together can really help address community issues. And the purpose-driven element is absolutely you know, a magnet. It's interesting because a lot of folks, when I interview, for example, they say, I just had no idea that there was an organization like this that existed. I've never seen anything like it. And unfortunately that's actually true where you know, co- communications is really in our society used to drive sales of product. When in fact, it can actually be very powerful in helping to shape, you know, the way that we think, the way that we behave. And isn't it incredible that we can use communications to improve health?
0: Um, You know, with this new generation of of vapors and smokers, I mean, you hear stories about, you know, the the bathrooms being (laughs) clouded with smoke, um, that, you know, people not being able to live without it um, at age 15, 16, 17. Uh, what is the, uh, the, the effort that's going to take to prevent um, and, and cure and regenerate this generation that picked up a vape during this lockdown?
1: How to solve the vaping epidemic among teens? Um, you know, well, I think that's a really difficult question and it's one that, you know, we put a lot of attention on. It's so fascinating because the public health community had been focused on tobacco prevention for so long. And vaping was developed as a harm reduction tool for adults. And so the public health community for a long time didn't come out and say this is problematic for teens because it was never intended for teens. And yet you have uh, vaping manufacturers like Juul and others that were marketing directly to teens. And so I bring that history up because we would see it in focus groups early in 2014, 15, 16, but the determination that this was an epidemic among youth really didn't happen until 2017, 18, mm-hmm. 19, and no action was really taken until those later years. And so at this point, you know, you've got teens who think that this is a safer alternative to smoking and that they don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And what we've had to do is really help educate teens with um, health communication strategies that are in fact more mass Awareness, so making sure that there's an awareness, just like Juul went out and had an awareness of their own product, we had to go out and make sure that every teen understood that there were chemicals inside of vapes that could damage your lungs, or help them understand the addictive nature of vaping. And one of the biggest challenges was that there wasn't a litany in a history of research because it was so new. Mm. And so human condition creates a path where if there's any doubt that something is true, you could make it untrue. And a lot of teens said, oh, this is not addictive, right? And so ultimately, um, we've actually created experiences where um, we're able to help teens who have become addicted, connect with peers. And I'm thinking right now, um, Hmm. when I think about vaping and how do we help teens, one of the things that we recognize is traditional cessation models For adults, for example, you call a quit line if you're adult and you can get nicotine patches and and that type of thing. Those programs don't work for teens. First of all, they're never gonna pick up the phone. Second, they're never even gonna sign up for something online. What we've actually created in partnership with UCSF and a group called Hope Lab is a digital intervention through Instagram where it's a teen vaping cessation support group. Hmm. So we have a cessation counselor that comes in on Instagram welcomes teens to a 15-person kind of group of peers. In over 30 days together, they explore their, um, their vaping habit, why they might want to quit, the challenges that come along with that. And we have an incredible success rate. We've now not only piloted but have been running this program. It's called Quit the Hit in seven different states. Um, and we see this as a really great opportunity to use digital media, which is where all of our teens are, to create a path to a healthier behavior for teens.
0: I mean, as you mentioned, you know, this is uh, fairly new and it was uh, kind of just unknown. And we weren't really sure because we had no historical records of, kind of how to make decisions. A lot of new things came up over the past two years. There was vaping. Vaping's already happened, but it just kind of just accelerated. Obviously, COVID was new. Who did you go to uh, for advice, support, to navigate the uncertainty and what is your mindset? uh, How has your mindset changed uh, over the past three years?
1: Yeah. So as part of, as part of the public health community, you know, we work with over 28 different States. And so we see on a regular basis, what States are seeing, you know, we can see their youth behavior risk surveys, their YRBS data. We can talk to, you know, those public health officials and understand what they're seeing. And we work with organizations like the campaign for tobacco free kids, um, but what we really try to do is focus on understanding the audience themselves because we can see the trends from a statistical perspective and but we often sign oftentimes see those trends from the audience before they actually show up in the data and so i think from an uncertainty standpoint because we're doing so many focus groups we do you know, um, ethnographic studies. We go visit homes of, of individuals with their invitation. You know, over COVID, we, have to, we had to move all of our research from in-person to online. And we, we negotiated that kind of landscape so that we could make sure that we could continue to talk to people. And whether it is understanding the motivations or the challenges behind someone who's smoking, someone who has a substance use disorder, someone who's trying to help a friend with a mental health condition, Um, We just learn so much from our audience, and we have a team of subject matter experts that also helps us as well.
0: So always talking to the audience, always actually going out there, doing the dirty work, getting to understand the customer, how they talk, how they act, um, what actually communicates with them best.
1: Yeah, we have to be very careful in our work not to project our own understandings or thought process of why people engage in a health behavior or not. And we really have to hear it from them Uh, applied empathy is a way that we talk about it we really want to make sure that we're understanding where someone's coming from and not just putting ourselves in their shoes but really understanding what it takes for them to walk forward and what their motivations might be Um, and then our job is to create a path through communications through um, digital interventions through You know support systems we work with social service offices all over the country for example creating a path where a healthy choice can become an easier choice for someone
0: is there a way that you're measuring that path
1: the measurement of our programs really depends on each program the ideal scenario is that we have a budget for evaluation and behavior change as you can imagine happens over time so our commercial marketing world is set up to measure progress on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, you know, measuring sales. Behavior change is definitely, you know, a longer term uh, prospect than that. So at the beginning of any campaign, we typically do a baseline and we understand among our audience, what are Mm. the behaviors that are happening today? What do they think? What is their knowledge of the behavior? What are their attitudes and what are their belief systems? And then we often, if in an, an ideal scenario. We are able to follow an audience over time. We've done studies that are tracker studies, you know, one year, two years, three years, and we can see a percent change over time. We've also worked with external evaluators, particularly for our federal work, um, where there's an external evaluator that's following a cohort of, of uh, people over a period of five years. And that's really where we can see changes that happen.
0: And throughout your impact journey as a CEO, what have been some of the greatest lessons that you've learned?
1: I think as a CEO and throughout my impact journey, you know, the greatest lesson has been how important it is to stay true to our mission and to really focus both our team, our clients and our work on having the biggest impact that we possibly can and when I say that, um, that focus has been so important because it's been so easy for us to follow, you know, shiny objects like, let's see if we can really help support the COVID, you know, crisis, or should we, you know, bring on a new contract with a, a new state or a new client that may not be ready for a new way of thinking? Um, or how do we make sure that we're really building the, the impact and the mission into how we treat our employees and engage with our employees? And so that focus has been something that's hard to have over time, but it's actually also been the most important thing. I remind myself what our mission is to make healthy behaviors easier and more appealing so often because it helps us make sure that we make the right decisions. Mm. And if we do our work and drive positive health outcomes, we will get more work. And Mm. I think that is what you know, we hold our hat on in terms of being able to grow as an agency.
0: So having the mission and, and uh, being in alignment with that mission for your decision making. Uh, Chris and Carol, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Let's Likewise. bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader?
1: My definition of a real leader is someone who is courageous enough to really understand what their impact can be and how to bring together a group of people who have a shared purpose who can be focused and to together, you know, create a bigger impact than they would by themselves.
0: For Chris and Carol, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, bring people together around the shared purpose and always folks keep it real. Thanks Chris.
1: Thank you.